All right. This has been our habit, right? Let's review. My, you know, I, my prayer, and I, I say this each week, is that you really, really know at least the basic outline of Ephesians, that through this time of teaching, through the time of you reading it extra during the week, that you will uh, be people who, who know, oh, Ephesians, I know what that's about. And so, chapters one through three, give me a basic outline of Ephesians. Anyone want to yell one out? It's allowed. Our position in Christ is chapters one through three, and then chapters four, five, and six is our practice. I heard practice. That's awesome, right? And so what we have, chapters one through three, it speaks of our position in Christ, who we are in Christ. And just to like rattle them off, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've been chosen in him to be holy and blameless. In Christ, we've been predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. In Christ, God's grace is lavished upon us. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. We see God's eternal purpose in Christ. In Christ, we have an inheritance and have been made Christ inherit- Christ's inheritance. And all of this is the fulfillment of God's will. It's God's eternal will. We have the Holy Spirit given to us who has sealed us as a guarantee of our inheritance of what's to come. We belong to Christ's church. Christ is the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ. And we belong to Jesus. We are his. That's just chapter one right there. That's just chapter one. So do you see who we are? Do you see who you are as a believer in Christ? Do you see what God has done? Do you know what it means to be a child of God, to be made alive, to be his workmanship? Do you know the grace of God? See, his grace brought all of this to us. We brought nothing, nothing to this table. We have no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. We do not have spiritual life apart from the Holy Spirit awakening us. It's grace. It's God's work. All that we have in Christ is completely undeserved. We do not earn this as a wage. And it's not a wage for our self-powered ideas of what we think is good and what are good works. And it is not even this, as some heresies believe that God's grace just makes up the difference of what you couldn't produce. No, it's all 100% produced by God through Christ in us. It is not our works. You see, the Christian life is this. What wages do people earn? The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, this gracious gift, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So salvation is not earned. It's not deserved. And it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with our works. If it did, we'd start boasting, wouldn't we? I know I would. I'll be the first to admit it. I'd sit there and go, you know, why aren't they saved? They're kind of a loser. I get it. They don't. What's their problem? They need to step it up. We can't say that. We kneel at God's grace and say, look what he's done. He went to the cross and died for me. 
I bring nothing to this table. And so the only boast we have is Christ alone, amen? And so that's just a bit of chapters one through three, who we are in Christ. Then I'm really getting excited about this. In chapters four, five, and six, we'll see our practice in Christ. And this is going to be great because we'll see, and maybe for some of you, it's the first time. Maybe some of you have grown up in an environment where chapters one, two, and three weren't really paid a whole lot of attention. It was more like behave, 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 behave. Do this, do this, do this, do this. That's the Christian life. Now, is that the Christian life? Absolutely. But obedience is fueled by God's grace. You don't do chapters four, five, and six to earn chapters one, two, and three. One, two, and three come first. And then that grace fuels and empowers us to be imitators of God. Which is, that in itself is an amazing statement. See, Paul would not go to a church and say, you church in Ephesus, be imitators of God. And leave it at that. Can you imagine the hopelessness of that? Hey, Buck up. Work harder. You, first brook. Start imitating God. Start being like him. How? We'll figure it out. We're dead if that's the situation, and that is not our God. Instead, what we just saw fuels our relationship with Christ. And then, for the first time, I love the verse in 1 John, I believe chapter 5, where it says that the believer, this is my paraphrase, the believer obeys his commandments, and his commandments aren't a burden. Obedience is no longer a burden. Why? Because of grace. So we embrace grace. We run to grace, and we realize that it is the fuel. And because of God's grace, because of his great grace, we start to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. And we become, by God's grace, by the fruit of the Spirit, working within us, humble, gentle, patient. We bear with one another. We become a people who are eager to maintain unity in Christ. God's grace changes us. And I'm going to stop now, otherwise we're going to be in chapter 4, 5, and 6, and I'm going to get ahead of ourselves. And our current text has has been a tremendous blessing for me to restudy these past weeks. And we've seen the Christ-centered ministry of Paul. And Paul is truly a great example for us to follow as individuals and as a, as a church to see what was driving Paul's ministry. And it was Christ-centered. Christ was the center of all that Paul did. And we're about to jump into Paul's prayer for the church in verse 14, but we're going to attempt to finish off this inspired detour. Now we remember that Paul was about to pray in chapter three, verse one, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he goes into this detour and he speaks of his ministry. But jump to verse 14, we know he was about to start praying because we see this, the same words, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father and we'll be there next week. But we see again, Christ's ministry, or, uh, Christ's ministry through Paul. So we too should imitate and follow Paul's example. We know that Paul followed Christ, and so we can do this. And Paul's purpose was to do, do everything for the glory of Christ. So we've seen so far four examples from Paul's ministry. I want to hit them quick. I'm, I'm big on review, and uh, I think it's a good thing. The first is this. Paul was fully surrendered to the will of God. 
And we too are to be fully surrendered to God's will. In times of trial, in times of ease, both of those times are blessings from God. We love this verse. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In persecution or in times of freedom, in prison for the gospel or being able to freely travel and to minister wherever we would go, we submit ourselves to God's perfect will and God's perfect plan. And we do that as a church. Sometimes we ask questions. We say, God, what are you doing in our church? But we humbly wait upon the Lord. And we say, it's his church. And we trust in you. We also understood and saw that Paul understood and proclaimed the mystery of Jesus Christ. We have to be about Christ in everything we do, as Paul was. We must be saturated with the gospel. We need to know God's word, to study God's word. And I've said this before, listen to preachers who proclaim Jesus Christ. Think about the time that we live in. You have, at the push of a download button, countless proclaimers of the gospel. If you need help finding someone to find a podcast to listen to some good, solid, biblical teaching, ask us. Spend your commute in times listening to God's word. There are so many wonderful Christ-centered messages and materials. And we, like Paul, we need to know and proclaim the gospel. It needs to be quick off our tongues. It needs to be what we focus on. We need to re-reveal the mystery once hidden, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all tribes, tongues, and nations. We also saw, thirdly, that Paul was continually humbled and continually empowered by the grace of God. We've already touched on that a bit this morning, but never, ever cease to be amazed at God's grace. Each morning, proclaim the gospel to yourself. Start your day off reminding yourselves of the grace of God. And it could be as simple as this. I was dead in my sins, but praise God, through Jesus Christ, I've been made alive. And through the cross, I have forgiveness of sins. What a way to start the day. Do you think that would change your attitude? Absolutely. I remember when I commuted. Highway 25, I'd be kind of, you know, going out. And I remember by the time I like, made the turn on the 101, I could feel myself clenching my teeth. I could feel the stress coming on. Oh, what a difference it would make if my eyes were centered on Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Dennis says, I, I, dentist says, you're hard on your teeth. I'm like, yeah, that was my commute. <laughs> Start to look at your commute as a gift, even though I know it's difficult for so many of you. It's a blessing and an opportunity Be amazed at God's grace. Grace awakened us to life. Grace is the fuel for our holiness. It's a 100% gift. And for some of us, you can now rest. You can stop trying to earn God's favor. In Christ, you have it. Fully. In Christ, you have God's full love and full favor. You are a favored son or daughter because of grace. My kids sometimes joke around, Dad, I think you like so-and-so the best. Well, the reality is I love my children the same. 
I love different things about them. Actually, I'll say this too. Some things about them drive me nuts differently between the three of them, right? But I love them. But with God, who is perfect, he perfectly favors us and perfectly loves us because of Christ. You don't earn his favor. So we give him glory. By God's grace, we become humble, faithful, and effective in God's kingdom. Fourth, we saw that Paul proclaimed the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And we too must make Jesus Christ and the truth of all that he is our proclamation. As long as we have breath, as long as Grace Bible Church is a church, it must proclaim Christ. It does not need to be about any kind of man-made strategy, about silliness, about entertainment, about putting on a show. We preach Christ because Christ is enough. Christ is the draw. Christ is God. And so we need no other message but Christ alone. We must tell everyone the greatness of Jesus. If you like to boast, boast in Christ. That would be a holy and appropriate boasting to give praise to Jesus. Boast in his grace, boast in the cross. I love how we proclaim God's grace to one another when we sing, when we pray. We proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. And so our desire is this, we don't want glory or any fame to us as a church or as any of us as individuals, but only to Jesus Christ should all glory and honor go. And I love this verse in Isaiah 26, verse 8. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Basically, Isaiah is saying, as we walk, as we live. But then it says this, your name and your fame or your renown or your remembrance is the desire of our soul. Can we say that as a people? We exist for God's fame, for the fame of Jesus Christ, to make him known, to boast in him, to say how great our God is. So we have two more examples, and I know I'm only getting to one, but the next one, we'll be able to hit it super quick, and we'll jump into Paul's prayer. And we'll do that next week. But I have a question. How many of you are familiar with his idiom. There's more to this than meets the eye. Any of you ever, ever use that? There's more to him than meets the eye. There's a mystery here. There's something deeper. Well, what's that mean? You know what it means. It means that there's something more in someone or something than we just visually see. We know that there's something different or something to be added. I thought of a few examples, and bear with me. You know, my examples get goofy, but you love me anyways, I think. There's more than meets the eye. I was thinking about a dog. There could be more to a dog than meets the eye. You could have the meanest looking, toughest looking dog, put the spikes on the collar, have that stereotypical owner, whatever you want to picture, who has it on a big old chain, a muscular dog with big teeth, big eyes, and by looks, it looks like this dog would eat you. This is the best watchdog a home could have, but really the truth, the dog's a pansy, a wimp. The household cat is tougher. 
This dog that looks like it would eat you would probably just rather lick you to death. But then sometimes you have the opposite of that. You'll see this cute little fluffy dog that looks like the cutest dog in the world. And it's the dog that would tear you apart if given the opportunity. It would grab onto your ankle and just start ripping and tearing and you'd die a slow and painful death. (laughs) More than meets the eye. Ships have been brought down by icebergs that just had a little bit of uh, ice showing above the water, right? But down below was this destructive mountain of ice that tears ships apart. Bear with me on this one. I used the Google to try to do this. Guess what came up? I wish the kids were over here. Transformers. <laughs> There's more than meets the eye. It looks like a Camaro, but it's a killer robot. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Battlebot or something? I don't know. I, I haven't really seen the movies, but. <laughs> you see what I'm saying, though, right? There's more than meets the eye. I know some people who on the outside look pretty skinny. They don't look really tough. And I don't do this, but if I was the type of person who did this, I'd go, I could take them. If he came, came at me, yeah, the gun show would come out. I, I could take them. But yet there's more than meets the eye. They're a black belt. They're trained in self-defense. And the next thing you know, I'd be howling in pain on the floor. More than meets the eye. See, oftentimes things look fairly obvious on the outside, yet there's more to it. Today I want to look at the church. Paul had a high view of Christ's church, and so should we. And when you look at the church, this text shows us that there's more to it than meets the eye. And so, as we look at Paul's ministry, number five is this. As individuals and as a body of believers, we, like Paul, must have a high view of of Christ's church. The fact is this. If you love Christ, you will love his church. It's not an option. If you have a high view of Jesus Christ, you will have a proper and a high view of his church. Paul makes his view of Christ's church very clear in Ephesians. Back in chapter 2, we saw in verses 11 through 22, it says this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the divining wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Jesus Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, now, 
We are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of what? The household of God. The church. Jews and Gentiles being brought together as one. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Being joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul makes it very clear what he thinks of the church. He has a high view of the church. Coming up in verse 21 of our current chapter, we'll see in Paul's prayer, he says this, to Christ be glorified in the church. The church is about bringing glory to Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, we'll see the importance of unity in the church. We'll also see how God has gifted the church with spiritual leaders who are to equip the saints for ministry. You are here to be equipped to go and minister and to tell others. I love in chapter 5, as Paul speaks of marriage, that Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. See, the church is a collection of God's people who he purchased with his blood. And so we must have a high view of his bride. We must have a high view of the church. And today we're going to see something amazing. And this really is a more than meets the eye moment as we look at Christ's church. As we look at a church centered on Christ. A church which proclaims the gospel. The church has a purpose in God's eternal plan that is oftentimes overlooked. That we don't really think about. You see, we like Paul proclaim the mystery hidden for ages. We are bringing to light the gospel. We bring to light for everyone, and we proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And look as it says in our text, for what purpose? Look at verse 10, so that. It says, so that, for this purpose. And look what it says. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's quite a purpose. That's an amazing purpose. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. The church that proclaims Christ is to be held with a high view so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is an amazing batch of theology. This is a God thing. This is big. So who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? What is, what is Paul saying? Well, we know this. They're, they're angels. I believe good and bad heavenly beings. Now we know for sure that the use of rulers and authorities speaks of the enemy and speaks of our enemies. It speaks of those rulers and authorities who are hostile towards Christ and his church. How do we know this? Turn to chapter 6. We'll study this in depth 
I won't say in a few weeks, in a month or two maybe, or more. By the way, we have 34 resumes that as elders we're going through. And so uh, we are praying for God's man uh, for this church. I'm throwing that in for free as we talk about how long we're being Ephesians. Uh, by God's grace, maybe I could have to do a, you know, a jet book tour through to finish up as God calls someone to church and to minister to us. We'll see how that goes, but we're excited for what God is doing. But look at chapter six, and we will be there someday. It says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You guys know what flesh and blood is, right? We can wrestle each other. Earlier I said, oh, I could take him. That's what it's talking about. We kind of, in a match, you, you size up your opponent, opponent, and if you're wrestling him, you go, I think I'm going to do this move and that move, and he looks weak, and I'm going to get him in a headlock, and he's going to tap out. I don't think that's high school wrestling, but it's kind of a mix of whatever's on TV and such. That's not what we're talking about. Our struggle in our wrestling matches as a church, as believers, is against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Back in our text, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through Grace Bible Church, through believers, through us, the manifold, multifaceted, it's the same idea as Joseph's multicolored uh, coat that his dad gave him and caused all kinds of problems with his brothers. This huge, manifold, Wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That is amazing. You see the same terms? You see the same wording that we saw in chapter 6? In Peter, 1 Peter, we also see that Peter speaks of the mystery and the gospel being proclaimed and revealed, the good news of salvation coming to man. And Peter says this, these are the things in which angels long to look. You say, Pastor Ron, what's that mean? I don't know exactly. It's outside of my visual and your visual eyes. But scripture is, is clear here. The Christ-centered church, the faithful church that presents the gospel, the gospel-revealing church is involved in so much more than what we see with our eyes. And Paul is saying this. The rulers and authorities, they're not all-knowing. They are not like our God. They are not omniscient. And our message and our practice goes out into the spiritual realm. The church, made up of Jews and Gentiles, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, is making known the manifold wisdom of God. Angels look at the church and the gospel and they marvel at God's grace and they marvel at God's plan. They long to look at it, Peter says. Demonic forces look upon the church and the grace of God and they look on in doom and dread. They lost at the cross and they really lost at the resurrection when death was conquered. 
They are losers. They look upon the gospel-presenting church and they see doom and destruction. Think about that. Think about, and I don't like to get too mystical or too weird, but just think. Scripture here is saying they look on and they hear the word being proclaimed. You know what they see in here? They see those who were once in bondage and slaves to sin set free by Christ and they go, I can't touch them anymore. They don't belong to us. I lost that soul. That soul belongs to Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. When they see a church, they see a crowd of people who all of us were once slaves and in bondage to sin. They see people who were in bondage to immorality in bondage to addictions, in bondage to pride, to wickedness of all sorts. And then they see the church and the gospel being proclaimed and they see absolute defeat. Author I read this week said this, the existence of the church is announcing and proclaiming that the rule of evil, the rule of the devil is coming to an end once and for all. When we worship, when we sing, we proclaim the gospel and we proclaim and announce the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death. We haven't sang it in a while, but I love the song, Sing to the King. We'll join in singing with all the redeemed because Satan is vanquished. I love the word vanquished. Swallowed up. I think of a campfire, and if you were able just to like bombard it with a fire extinguisher, just vanquish that flame. Suck out the oxygen and the life, and the fire is gone. That is our enemy. He is defeated. And we sit here today and proclaim victory in Jesus Christ because of God's grace. The inescapable conclusion, Kent Hughes said this, the inescapable conclusion of this passage is that the angels watch us because we are part of the mystery. We have a far bigger and more observant viewing audience than any of us realize. As I was studying this passage, I said to myself, I will never, ever say this again. Church looked empty today. Because it never is. When we proclaim the gospel, the heavenly realm looks on, sees victory, or sees defeat. And that is awesome. Now we don't want to get lost on this and you know, just focus on what we can't see. But what is the point? The point is this. Christ must be the center of a church. Christ must be our message. We have an important job in revealing the mystery. You see all this, look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's about Jesus Christ. God uses the church to be a witness for the glory of Christ, to be a witness of the glory of Christ. Don't lose sight of this. The church is to be the picture of Christ's glory. We should sit in here full of forgiven and redeemed people from all nations, all ethnicities, We need to see that Jesus is our peace. It is Jesus who broke down the dividing wall of hostility between ethnicities, 
between Jew and Gentile. You know, this weekend, tomorrow, we're going to remember Martin Luther King. Now, I know some people like to focus on his sins. He was flawed. So am I. But his message of being one in Christ, and we see that, we put the cross into, uh, into these type of things. When we speak of unity, we see Jesus Christ, the unifier. And in Christ, we should have a many-colored fellowship, a diverse people, a multicultural, multi-ethnic fellowship, a body of believers that makes up all peoples and nations who are the redeemed, the called, the forgiven, the people brought to life by Christ, who are now united in Christ. Have you seen in our text the last few weeks? Christ is the unifier. Look, Jew and Gentile, they were at hostility. We talked about this. The Jews looked at the Gentiles as godless pagans. The Gentiles looked at the Jews and said, they think they're great. And they didn't like each other. Think about Samaritans in the New Testament time. This still blows my mind. If I wanted to walk to Mars Hill, just from right here, and I had to go by the eye doctor and stuff, but let's just say the next building over, and I don't know what it is, so I'm just making this up, had a people or a person or a race that I didn't like. They were my enemies. So I said, you know what? Instead of just going the straight line, I think I'm going to go this way and around the block. But they would do that for miles upon miles to avoid a people group. The world needs racial reconciliation. And I'm here to say Christ is the one who brings reconciliation. Because we see who we are. In Christ, we have the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, there's two people groups. Do you know that? Saved and unsaved. That's it. That's what the scriptures show. Those dead in sins, those alive in sin, in Christ. Those dead in sin are those alive in Christ. And we have an opportunity as God's people to show the world the love of Christ by loving one another regardless of what the world says, who we should love or who we shouldn't. It's ridiculous. God so loved the world. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 10, God's plan is to unite all things in Christ. All things includes all people united in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. So let us be an example of those who are united in Jesus Christ and everyone can grow in this area. And we must grow. And like I said, I know Martin Luther King was flawed like you and like me. And what he dreamed of equality and unity and freedom, this is found in Jesus Christ. And so that we proclaim unity, the equality of men, because God is the creator of all. God's children, all of us. And what's awesome is this is the cross. What's going to bring healing to our nation? What will bring healing to the world? The cross. The cross brings healing. The cross brings equality. The cross brings unity. I know I quote this verse a lot because I love it. I love 
love this picture. It's a picture of heaven. And because of this, you can't tell me that ethnic harmony and ethnic diversity isn't about the cross. In Revelations, it says this, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood, you, Jesus, ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Who is left out of the church? No one united in Christ. And so if we have a high regard for Christ, we will have, like Paul, a high regard for Christ's church. And so when we look at the church, it's easy to get distracted by the troubles and trials that we as humans bring upon it. Oh, the church is bigger than us. We will die one day, and by God's grace, Grace Bible Church will still be proclaiming the gospel. We are a vapor in the history of God's kingdom. So maybe we relax a little bit more on certain areas, but we get hyper-vigilant on proclaiming Christ and the gospel. I love the idea of the church in Ephesus reading this, just like us. I know they were a church made up of a diverse group of people, like us. In here and there, back 2,000 years ago, farmers, I'm sure, bankers, we have CHP officers, we have sheriffs, we have police chiefs, we have police officers, we have retired, we have laborers, we have physically healthy and physically weak. We have those with much financially and we have those who are poor financially. In Ephesus, they had slaves, they had free people. But the church in Christ, with all of that, was united and part of God's eternal plan. You see, the church is God's plan to proclaim Christ to the nations. And it even proclaims the mystery of the gospel to those that we don't even see. Being part of the church is being in the center of God's great eternal plan. It's more than somewhere you just come into a room on Sunday morning. You think your life doesn't matter in Christ? You think your part in this church doesn't matter? Please think again. We are all members of one body and we serve one another and we love one another and we proclaim Christ. We worship together. You cannot be a lone ranger, Christian. You need the church. So be amazed. Be amazed. God's people make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places and to one another his manifold wisdom. Amen? Don't look at church the same. Have a high, high view of it. We are God's people purchased by the blood of Christ. I love that. And if we keep that in mind and we proclaim Christ, God has great things planned for us because our God is great. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And then we'll close in song. Father, we are thankful. 
Lord, I admit, sometimes I, I can get discouraged and I can get frustrated and I can take my eyes off of, off of you and start looking at the things around me and the trials and the troubles. And It's easy oftentimes for us to take our eyes off of Christ, both as individuals and also as, as a church. Father, may we as Grace Bible Church here in Hollister know who we are May we know who we are in Jesus Christ. May we know that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit believers, that we are God's favored, that you love us with an everlasting, unshakable love. Lord, we thank you that as the enemy looks upon us, they see defeat because of Christ. And so, Father... May we never look at one another the same. But Father, may we just see trophies of your grace as we gather together, and may we be people who quickly say, great is our God. That we'd be people who are quick to praise our Savior and to proclaim the gospel to others. Lord, your church is a powerful, powerful tool in your kingdom. Thank you that you've made us a part of it. Help us to love you. Help us to love one another. Lord, help us to be a body that proclaims Christ, that keeps him at the center of all we say, all we do, all we sing, how we use our resources. Lord, it's all about you. Thank you for your great salvation and for gathering us together in your sovereign providence. We are not here by accident, but we are here to fulfill your will. You are great and you are good. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.